Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Robert Paquette. He is former professor of history at Hamilton College. He's the founder and director of the Alexander Hamilton Institute for the Study of Western Civilization in Clinton, New York, author of Sugar is Made with Blood and editor of many volumes, including the Oxford Handbook of Slavery in the Americas. Welcome, Professor Paquette. Nice to be here. Thank you, Mark. How did the Hamilton Institute begin? A very interesting story. In a sense, it began with a conversation that I had with a member of Hamilton's Board of Trustees by the name of Carl Mengus, who was a Wall Street guy, but uh, very much interested in history. And a conversation took place in the early 2000s about how Hamilton College, which was named of Alexander Hamilton, should do more in recognition of its prestigious namesake. And so we held a conference out of which came a volume, uh, The Many Faces of Alexander Hamilton. And as, the, uh, and as we were considering what more to do, a couple of scandals rocked Hamilton College, basically back-to-back. The first was the attempt by a radical outfit called the Kirkland Project to hire the convicted felon Susan Rosenberg, a member of the Weather Underground, to teach writing at Hamilton College. Now, if you remember, Susan Rosenberg, and you can easily look her up on Google, is that she was sentenced to, I think, more than 50 years in a maximum security prison for uh, having in her possession a cache of arms and munitions. And there was also abundant evidence that she had participated in armed robberies that caused the death of uh, police officers and also Brink's armored car drivers. And at the last moment of the Clinton presidency, Bill Clinton, under the influence of the radical Democrat Jerry Nadler, pardoned Susan Rosenberg. And on Hamilton's campus, there were a couple of, well, a number of radical professors connected to the history of the Weather Underground. And one of them was the head of the so-called Kirkland Project, which was kind of a radical hothouse program, you know, for the study of gender, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera. And she uh, had great autonomy, uh, uh, abundant resources at her disposal, and hired Susan Rosenberg. And then I, with a few others, led the charge against this. Alumni of Hamilton went up in arms, and there were uh, articles published in, in places like the Wall Street Journal, uh, a very noteworthy one by Roger Kimball, you know, guess who's coming to Hamilton College. And then I think what happened was behind the scenes, the administration, uh, perhaps acting with board members, got uh, Rosenberg to withdraw from her position at uh, Hamilton College. But then soon thereafter, the Kirkland Project attempted to bring in, for a major conference, Ward Churchill, uh, the phony Indian and phony scholar 
who was going to speak on prison reform, and a colleague of mine had brought to the surface an article that he had published in which he compared the victims of 9-11 Nazi bureaucrats. So those two events uh, really roiled uh, Hamilton College. A lot of alums were up in arms, wondering what was going on, etc., etc. And so um, what I did with two colleagues was to try to create an institute called the Alexander Hamilton Center initially, which would hopefully settle things down, provide programming, not curricular changes, and that should be underscored, but programming that would supplement uh, what was uh, being given at Hamilton College. And towards that end, we got a $3.6 million commitment from Carl Mangus, who was on the board at that time, and it took us about a year to very carefully negotiate this program with the president and the dean of the faculty. Uh, we got an agreement reached in 2006, and we toasted it uh, over a bottle of Dom Perignon, and within two weeks, the whole thing collapsed. And to make a long, very long story short, uh, Hamilton College reneged on a signed agreement. Mr. Why? Magnus, Why? well, they... Uh, Two forces at work. First, uh, the radical empire at Hamilton College struck back, and at various faculty meetings, they they passed resolutions overwhelmingly that the uh, Alexander Hamilton Center needed faculty control and that it would affect the reputation of Hamilton College. <laughs> now, get this. The center was dedicated to the study of American ideals and institutions and the larger Western culture in which they were embedded. And so basically the center was going to focus on what the best and brightest had said throughout the ages. The people protesting it were people who were bringing in porn stars, who were bringing in people to demonstrate sex toys, who were bringing in the War Churchills, the Susan Rosenbergs, and an endless train of radical idiots. And they were denouncing us as somehow this would stain, the Alexander Hamilton Center would stain the reputation of Hamilton College. The big lesson I learned, however, is that probably the decisive blow was not leveled by the faculty, which certainly shook then Hamilton President Joan Hines Stewart. And I know this because after a faculty vote, I entered her office and she was visibly shaken by the overwhelmingly negative response of the faculty to the Alexander Hamilton Center. But uh, we were still prepared to go, and she asked me and two other colleagues to present to the Board of Trustees at Hamilton, this Alexander Hamilton Center. She did not think she needed the trustees' approval because it was programmatic in nature. As far as I know, Mark, in the 200-year history of Hamilton College, there has never been a case in which the Board of Trustees overturned a programmatic initiative that was agreed to by the president and the dean of the faculty until the Alexander Hamilton Center was initiated during the fall of 2006. And it wasn't going to cost the college any money? Nothing. In fact, that's an excellent point. We consciously designed this so as not to strain the current resources, because we knew that if we took current resources, that would exacerbate the opposition to Hamilton College. So what we did with Mr. Mengus and others, we had actually raised more than $4 million 
of fresh money to create the Alexander Hamilton Center. Moreover, Carl Mengus's $3.6 million commitment at that time in 2006 was the largest single commitment by an individual donor in Hamilton College history. Hmm. So initially, people in the development office were happy about it. We thought the, 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 the clearly the president and the dean of the faculty were a, a little unnerved right from the get-go by the extent and the decibel level of faculty criticism. The faculty were very concerned because we had negotiated over this period of a year governance structures which insulated us from the faculty, which is what they did not want. The, the radical faculty in particular. They wanted control. So what happened at the Board of Trustees meeting, which caught us a bit by surprise, although in retrospect I had named one individual who would give us trouble, and indeed he did, was that the Hamilton's Board of Trustees demanded, after we made a presentation about how wonderful this would be for Hamilton College, they demanded a do-over of the governance structures. And they gave the original agreement to Drew Day's who passed away recently. Drew Days was probably one of the most radical members of the board. Former Clintonista, uh, had served as Bill Clinton's solicitor general, and I believe he probably had been back-channeled by some of the radical faculty. And over a period of weeks, without any contact with the co-founders of the Alexander Hamilton Center, brought forth a new set of governance structures which would have made the leadership of it subject basically to the whim of dean, whim of faculty. So all the protective insulation in this redrawn agreement would have stripped us of the uh, very careful insulation that we had laid out in the about a year's worth of negotiations with the administration. In fact, what we were shooting for, as you, as you probably know, was something along the lines of the Hoover Institution, which is protected uh, from the faculty. And we were shooting for something like that. The board, what we called the board of directors of this new center, however, what we had put in the agreement, that at no time could there be less than a majority on the board of directors of current members of the board of trustees. All right? And uh, I think the president, uh, under pressure, did not sell it very well to, to the board. I garnered, I gained access to the minutes of the crucial board meeting in October of 2006, in which the center was discussed, and predictably, the four members of the board, one of whom in particular I identified as a possible troublemaker, they stood up to protest the existence of the Alexander Hamilton Center. And so, to again, to make a long story short, the board of trustees basically renegotiated the agreement, stripped away the insulation, made us vulnerable. They pressured me to go along with it. I refused. The deal collapsed uh, within a matter of weeks, much to the delight of the faculty. And so then the question arose as to what we were going to do. And so uh, I tend to be a fighter by nature. Uh, and so I sounded out a number of friends, including people like Jim Pearson, of the Manhattan Institute, and Robbie George of uh, the Madison program. Uh, we even had, even had a meeting with Robbie on the Princeton campus, and they gave us some very good advice. And fortunately, uh, about a mile from uh, Hamilton College in the town of Clinton, there was on the market an historic building, an historic mansion that dated from 1832. 
And a Hamilton alum, uh, a Wellfield Hamilton alum, came forward and said, you know, if we go ahead and purchase this building, how about ensconcing yourselves there? And so what we did was we created a board of directors. We got 501c3 status. We uh, headquartered ourselves a mile from campus and created an independent Alexander Hamilton Institute. And we've now been in existence almost 15 years. It's been tough, uh, but uh, we have gotten on our feet. We uh, do a number of wonderful things in our programming, which we can talk about. We accept no money from the government. We subsist entirely on private donations. And I can tell you, Mark, one of the most pleasing things about our operation is that the overwhelming majority of donations to AHI come from common folk who give us anywhere from, say, 25 to $250. Now, we have a few larger donors, to be sure, but the overwhelming majority are, you know, common folk who participate in our program, most of which is public, like what we do, and then reward us with these donations. So, so you do have Hamilton students coming over. Yes. To, to the Institute. Uh, they, they know that you're there. They know there is sort of a more traditionalist entity uh, where they can go and get, you know, programs, hear lectures. You have a little reading room, uh, I think. Right. And you, you but you've now found you, you have no official connection to the college. None. But it's you, a hostile. It's hostile. <laughs> but you have a place now in the town. You're a recognized part of Clinton, New York. Uh, More than that, I think we have a national reputation now because we've done a lot of good things, including published books. One of our resident fellows, a person you know uh, quite well, Mary Graber, published a uh, book debunking Howard Tim. Let me me ask about that. We had Mary on the podcast uh, about a year ago to talk about the Howard Zinn biography. Could she have written that biography were it not for her her position as a fellow at the at the Institute, do you think? I don't think so. It has certainly been much more difficult for her. We gave her a place. She has gifts. She was a PhD in literature. She taught at your uh, former institution. Are you still at Emory, Mark? I retired last year. Oh, you did? Okay. Took a very early retirement. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah me too. I mean, uh, <laughs> when people say, oh, you retired from Hamilton, I actually say, no, I exited. Because I could have taught several more years, Um, but I got sick of the place, and I felt that I could do more uh, heading the Alexander Hamilton Institute, and I'm now president and executive director. But Mary uh, did me the great honor of, uh, she dedicated that book to me, and uh, she is an important part of our operation. She's currently working on a book critical of the 1619 Project, and I can tell your listeners that she has uncovered some really juicy items about the architect of uh, the 1619 project, Nicole Hammond-Jones. Uh, so we're, that should be uh, coming out maybe early next year. So we do a lot of wonderful things. Our second resident fellow, a man by the name of uh, David Frisk, uh, is not only an award-winning journalist, but a PhD in political science. He wrote a highly praised, even praised by the New York Times, biography of William Rusher of the National Review. And he is currently working on a major intellectual biography of one of my all-time favorite thinkers, Wilmore Kendall, the child prodigy who taught Bill Buckley, among others, and Gary Wills, uh, who moved from right to left during his intellectual uh, odyssey. So we do many of those things. And you mentioned about the students. So one of the things we did after basically being bounced off the Hamilton campus was to have students on their own create an Alexander Hamilton 
Institute undergraduate fellows program. So through the students who operate that program, we can bring things onto campus. Although uh, you never know when certain groups are trying to throw up roadblocks to whatever we do. And Hamilton College right now, there's an extraordinarily chilled uh, atmosphere there. It is like most elite or allegedly elite Northeastern liberal arts colleges. It is not a place uh, I would send my son or daughter to. It is not a place necessarily where you'll get a good education. It has certainly dropped any pretense of being a serious liberal arts college because, like so many other places these days, it's gone to an open curriculum. And many of the alums, many of the alums don't even know it, for God's sake. And it's been in existence 20 years. Let's pause for a moment for what I believe is one of the best schools of higher learning in the country, the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving, Texas, and Rome, Italy, UD offers a rigorous and exciting core curriculum that sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Fidelity to man requires fidelity to the truth, which alone is the guarantee of freedom and of the possibility of integral human development. Those are the words of Pope Benedict, quoted at the University of Dallas, and guiding educators in all the departments of the university. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Yeah, this could be an irony that we actually can't be too happy about, though it may help us. As the campus, the regular campus, goes more and more woke, as it casts Western civilization as white supremacy, as it uh, dispenses with American civilization and the founding and the great American novel and all those other great traditions, as it throws those into the, into the garbage, the students are going to drift more and more into these many independent centers that are springing up uh, just off campus, like the AHI. Is, is this the place where the, the great traditions of the liberal arts are going to be prospering in the next 20, 30 years? They may well, because I think that many of these elite liberal arts colleges and even elite universities, you know, are headed to a kind of disaster, you know, uh, at some point. And I know uh, from dealing with many Hamilton alums, uh, some of them, very well healed in some cases, have totally given up on the college and will no longer donate. One of the things, of course, places like Hamilton have going for them are these massive endowments. For 1,800 students, get this, Mark, Hamilton has an endowment probably, at this point, like $1.2 billion. That much? Billion? Yeah. They, on a per-enrolled student basis, Hamilton College is one of the most well-heeled places of higher education in the United States. And so uh, what they're using this money for, buildings all over the place, state-of-the-art equipment, and then uh, a burgeoning administrative bureaucracy, totally unneeded. They just hired, probably at $100,000 a year, someone who is advertised as an, uh, it's a transgender person who is identified in her position as an identity consultant. And I kid you not. Uh, Bob, Bob can, can I become an identity consultant? <laughs> that sounds like a good gig. 
Oh, and, and, and of course, if you, what's amazing, if you look on some of these websites, the number of people who are involved in this diversity swindle. You know, I call it the diversity cartel now. Because we're not, even for a small college, we're not talking one or two people anymore, Mark. Right. You know, we're probably talking more than a dozen people. And then when you add in other administrative positions that are allied to the diversity cartel, I mean, the numbers are staggering. And then what's interesting at Hamilton, this will be no surprise to you, is once the agreement collapsed to establish an Alexander Hamilton Center, wonder of wonders, two of the members of the board who were opposed to the Alexander Hamilton Center and he up money to create what they call a cultural education center at Hamilton, complete with its own building. And this is called the Days, named after Drew Days, and a liberal businessman, Art Masolo. It wasn't a cultural education center. It was a cultural re-education center. Well, exactly. It's a radical hothouse. And I've written articles, I've published articles about what they did. I mean, the Days Masolo Center is extraordinarily well-funded. And basically what it does is bring in a relentless train of folks, one more radical than the other. And uh, as I said very recently, I mean, get this. The keynote speaker they brought in for Black History Month was a woman working on a Ph.D. in some sort of uh, Africana Studies program in Texas who was a sex worker. Whether she was a former prostitute or stripper or what, unclear. And she was brought to speak on something called John, J-A-W-N, theory. And what it really amounted to was this woman who was all padded up and likes to uh, uh, photograph herself scantily clad, you know, self-promoting babble. And uh, the college fix seized on this, interviewed me about it. But it's just one. It's emblematic of the kind of stuff that is going on. And when are the alums, even liberal ones, going to say, enough is enough? How about a solid foundational education in the tradition of a true liberal arts college? I have a question, Bob. do you, I mean, you've got hostile relations with, with, with the campus, but are there a lot of professors who quietly encourage and support you? At Hamilton, I would say not. There are a few. And those that had been supporting me, they also left Hamilton College early. They could have stayed on, but they got sick of the place. And so, actually, we are benefiting because some of these folks who have retired or left, uh, we are going to use to teach uh, classes or run reading clusters, which is one of the things we do very well, is run these uh, reading clusters directed by scholars, focused on great books, and now with Zoom, we've expanded these things to more than Hamilton College students, but to a national audience. Let me me ask, Bob, you know, I I noticed you've got on your board of advisors Maurice Isserman. Now, Isserman is a strong man of the left. Uh, but he's he's that old leftist who, I mean, the old leftists said, you've got to read through Western civilization, right? I mean, an old Marxist said, you've, you've got to know your politics, your, your, your economics, your history. You have to immerse yourself in, uh, you know, in, in, in not just Marx, but in, in Rousseau, in, in 
you know, in Hobbes, political theory. Can you reach out to more of those people? Well, well it's interesting. Um, Morris would not be a faculty member at Hamilton College had not I fought a pitched battle to bring him to Hamilton College. And the, and the Alexander Hamilton Institute is open to serious people of all political persuasions. In fact, we have a gallery room where frames and on the walls are images of book covers or posters which show all the events we have sponsored or co-sponsored since 2007. And I would dare say, you know, um, you can easily find a range of folks from the traditionalist right, you know, to the Marxist left. And Morris, I'll tell you a story, and it's an important story. Morris himself uh, has felt the sting of some of these far-left folk, and he earned my respect because there was a particular moment in which uh, the radical faculty held a faculty meeting in which they wanted to censor me for God knows what. And Morris Isserman was the only faculty member who stood up to say, look, you don't know the facts. He's not even here to defend himself, and yet you want to go ahead and censor him? You know? But that speaks volumes about where we are today at uh, so-called elite institutions of higher education. They are run by a barbarian mob, and presidents are weak-kneed, spineless, and tend to pander. And as you know, what typically happens, there are drummed-up incidents, and to quiet the mob, the administration lavishes certain individuals and groups with money. And so behavior of a certain kind is incentivized. It's built in. It's institutionalized. And all the while is that people uh, who are uh, perhaps conservative or traditionalist or libertarian are marginalized or in some cases even pushed out. It becomes very difficult for anybody who is a conservative intellectual to be out of closet in the hiring process. Because what happens, and I've seen this because I participate in dozens of hirings, is there's elimination by discourse. And the way I, I explain that is that I say, suppose you have two uh, finalists for a position in political science. And one of them has written a dissertation on uh, the idea of property and the political thought of Edmund Burke. And the other dissertation is Southern phallocrats, race, gender, and sexuality in the Old South. Well, who do you think is going to get the job? You see? You know, that's the elimination by discourse. And once you get, in small departments, a majority of radical professors, game over. They know how to do personnel pretty well, don't they? They sure do. The transformation at Hamilton happened in within a very few decades. Yeah. Do, do you find more students are starting to drift over? Is, is the demand, the popularity increasing? Uh, the popularity of, of the HI? Or? Yeah, yeah, with, with Hamilton students as this uh, woke move gets more and more radical. Yeah, well, here's the disturbing trend, uh, as I see it. There are, we are very grateful for the uh, students who attach themselves to us, and they tend to be the creme de la creme. I mean, some of these students are they're courageous, they are smart, they want a good education, they want to know more, know more. They want a, to read great books. But on the other hand, there are many students who quietly sympathize with what we are doing, but they are chilled. They are afraid. Well, what are they afraid of? Well, they're afraid because there's so many politicized courses. They're afraid if a word gets out, 
their professors will punish them, you know, with a bad grade uh, or stigmatize themselves in some way. And then, of course, there is this relentless propaganda campaign against the Alexander Hamilton Institute and probably me uh, personally. Well, it's, by its nature, it's white supremacists, which is laughable. I mean, these people are, uh, Mark, I just, what's frightening, and it's not just students who are ignorant, even after four years of elite matriculation at elite liberal arts uh, college, but it's the faculty, the young ones who are coming in. I mean, something is also happening at the graduate level, where these people are utterly ignorant. But what stands out most about them is how they are eminently politicized. And so what we see now, of course, is not just in the humanities and social science, but even in the hard sciences. You know, uh, faculty coming in with a politicized agenda. And so it could be that we're going to emphasize climate change in the sciences. And so in a, a small a place like Hamilton, you know, I mean, we're terribly imbalanced. Because, you know, you have large numbers of faculty concentrating in these very fashionable areas, and then the traditional stuff, the students are not uh, engaging at all. I mean, uh, the English department is now a literature department, and Shakespeare is not even required of majors. To give you an idea how bad it is, listen to this, Mark. In, and, and Hamilton is very much like every other NESCAC school, uh, a little Ivy school, is that in history, is that, in many cases, American history is not even required of majors. Now, get that. You know, you wonder why we're losing the country and the culture? Yeah, uh, but, but Bob, Bob, we saw this coming 20 years ago, right? We, of course, absolutely. I've been clanging the alarm bell for more than 20 years. Yeah, what amazes us is that the moderate liberals simply will not say no to them. That that's what strikes me. They they just wanna they just wanna keep their heads down. They'll go ahead and vote with the radicals because that's just you know they want to go home. They want to just do their own work. They have kids, whatever. Uh, but it, it strikes me how how they have been so flexible for for a, often a very small number of leftists, hard leftists in the room. Who get away with so much? That, that that was what surprised me. Anyway, Bob. So Mark, Mark, let me let me just add to this one important point. It's kind of funny, uh, but also sad at the same time. You nailed it with that comment. Uh, at my last class at Hamilton College, you know, um, I discussed uh, my career with students and some of the things I saw coming ahead, and I said point blank to the students, I said, "There is no doubt in my mind." that uh, there are certain faculty members on this campus who, if they had the power, would line me up against the wall and execute me. I have no doubt about that. Now, I understand that. That's how they play the game. I said, but what would be most distressing to me is once the news came out that I was about to be executed, the large number of faculty that would turn out to watch and then walk away. <laughs> well... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Bob. <laughs> so, okay, uh, so, Bob, uh, the, the website is T-H-E-A-H-I.org, the A-H-I.org, and people can go find out about your programs, 
the publications of your fellows and, and other information about the program. Bob Paquette, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Mark. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930. Thank you.